So I wanted to, uh, to start with some questions this morning, uh, just a, a few re- uh, questions, and, and, I, and I really want you to, uh, to answer these questions honestly. Uh, you can answer them uh, out loud if you want, but if you don't want to, that's fine as well. But um, the first question is simply this, is following Jesus an easy road? <laughs> well, I heard quick responses to that. <laughs> Heard very quick responses to that. Um, so you're telling me that that following Jesus can be a difficult path? Yeah, yeah. Uh, does a Christ follower experience grief? Does a Christ follower experience failure? Amen, amen. Does a Christ follower uh, get tempted to do wrong? Seems like it's like uh, maybe poured on when we become a Christ follower, right? Like, you know, the temptation is. But, you know, as we answer those questions, I, I, I know that that's experience talking. I know that's experience talking. Uh, but it's also opinion as well. What does the Bible say? Does the Bible say that following Christ is an easy road? So the word of God doesn't even tell us that it's an easy road, right? And, and I love the Bible. I actually love uh, one, of the things that I, one of the things that I love about the Bible is that it's very honest about life, right? I mean, when, when we read the word of God, we, we do not get a rose-colored glasses picture of life. We really don't. It's very literally telling us that it's going to be difficult. In fact, Jesus, Jesus says, literally, he says, uh, in this world you will have tribulation. The version that I like to use, the, the CSB version, actually says, you will have suffering in this world. Jesus said that. You will have suffering in this world. And when I read that, when I read those words from Jesus, you know, it would, be, it would be very different if Jesus said that. And when he said that, he was sitting high and lofty on a throne, right? It would be very different if he said that in that setting. But we know that when Jesus said that, he was walking this old dusty world, wasn't he? He was dealing with the pains, the difficulties, the, the heartbreaks. Um, we, we really don't know much about uh, Jesus' life in between uh, the time that he was born and the time that he started ministry. Now, we talked about the one thing that we do know last week, that he got lost when he was, well, he wasn't really lost, but he got separated when he was 12 years old. And, and, and so we know some of that, but one thing that we do kind of know and kind of see, and, and, and it doesn't really say it completely, but, but we know that Joseph was present at the birth. Joseph was present when they got separated, and Mary and Joseph were looking for Jesus. And then from that point on to the time that Jesus starts his ministry, we don't hear about Joseph again, do we? We, we know something happened with Joseph. 
We know something happened uh, with Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. What, what happened with him? Does anybody know what happened with John the Baptist? Arrested, beheaded, right? Jesus experienced grief. He experienced sorrow. He experienced heartbreak. He experienced these things that we deal with on a constant basis. And then we know that he was arrested, falsely accused, put on trial, scourged, beaten, spit upon, called names, crucified. And so when Jesus says, in this world, you will have suffering. It really is something that we understand Jesus is talking about from experience. Amen. And I, and I really believe that anyone who wants to take the hardness of this world, the, the hardness of this life as a reason to not believe in Jesus hasn't really paid attention to what Jesus went through himself and the things that Jesus actually taught. Now, I asked all those questions so that we could take a look at this unexpected journey into the wilderness that Jesus takes in Luke 4, uh, 1 through 13. And so that's what we're going to be reading. I'll ask you if you would go ahead and turn there if you, if you would like to do that. It's going to be on the screen. Uh, last week, we talked about Jesus when he was 12 and how he was separated from his parents. Have you ever realized, and this is more, this really doesn't have anything to do with the message, Okay, this is like, I'm giving you this in case you're playing Bible trivia one day and it comes up in a question, all right? What's the first, what's the first recorded thing that Jesus said in the Gospels? We talked about it last week. Why were you searching for me? Do you realize that? That's the first recorded thing that we have Jesus saying in the Gospels. Why were you searching for me? It doesn't seem like a really, you know, profound thing to say, the first words, but that was what he said. So that was just extra there. Um, <laughs> nothing to do with what we're talking about. But, but we went from uh, Jesus being born to Jesus at the age of 12, and then Jesus is now uh, at the Jordan River. Uh, he's baptized by John the baptizer, and... Uh, and so, um, and, and by the way, if, if you want to be baptized, you need to be baptized. I feel like I can say this, uh, okay? <laughs> you, should, you should let somebody know. You should let uh, Pastor Doug know or, or Brandon or, or somebody. You should let somebody know, and we will definitely make sure that you get baptized. Amen. Am I good saying that? I think I am. All right, good. Good. I, you know, I was thinking I'm, maybe I'm going to have to go crack the ice somewhere and like, you know, whew. All right. So we find Jesus, he's in the Jordan and he's being baptized by John the baptizer. And it's, it's this amazing scene that Jesus is baptized when he comes up out of the water. Uh, there's this voice, the voice of God. And he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. 
And so that's just an amazing thing, isn't it? That's fantastic. And then Jesus like comes out of the Jordan and if we were writing the story, I'm not sure we would write it and show and talk about the next thing that Luke talks about. Because Luke then says that he, that he gets up out of the Jordan, he leaves the Jordan and he goes into the wilderness. <laughs> and, uh, and this is what it says in Luke chapter four, one through 13. Then Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, it is written, man must not live on bread alone. So he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it has been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he took him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, do not test the Lord your God. After the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for time. Now, don't miss what's in that first sentence because that first sentence is really important. As we're looking at this, uh, this trip into the wilderness that Jesus uh, is taking, the lessons that we need to see are in the details. And so Jesus, it says, then Jesus left the Jordan, and it says, full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I think that that's very, very important. I think that's an important piece to what is about to transpire. It was vital for Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, the Alpha and Omega, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, it was vital for Jesus to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I wanna tell you this morning that if it is vital for Jesus to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then it is vital for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, amen? Amen. And so I want you to, uh, to look at this scripture. This is Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verses 15 through 18. And this is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, and he's trying to help them understand what it means and what it's like to walk with Christ and to be faithful to the Lord. And so he says to them, be careful or pay careful attention than how you walk not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. 
And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. Now, I love how Paul uses wine here. Uh, When a person is drunk with intoxicating drink, they are under its influence, right? When a person is drunk with intoxicating drink, they do things that they wouldn't maybe normally do. They do things that, as it says, are reckless. They do things that they're maybe sorry about doing when they figure out what they did when they come really to their senses. And so when someone is filled with intoxicating drink, they are under the influence of the intoxicating drink. Paul is kind of giving this uh, a contrast. He's contrasting these two things. And he's saying, listen, don't be uh, influenced by such a thing as that. You need to be influenced by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God needs to be your influence. You need to be filled with the Spirit to a point where you will actually be doing the things that the Spirit wants you to do. And those things won't be reckless. Those things won't be wrong. Those things will be the things that God wants you to do. Those things will be things that will be labeled by others as wise, not unwise. Amen? And so... When we are filled with the Spirit, we are able to follow the path that God wants us to follow. We're able to honor him in our actions. We're able to make wise decisions. And I want to say this, we cannot be filled by the Holy Spirit if all we're doing is relying on uh, church on Sunday. Now, this is very important. It is very important to be at church on Sunday. But this cannot be the only time that you are uh, communing with God. And so we need to be filled by the Spirit of God. And And being filled by the Spirit of God happens at the point of sanctification. And it begins with that point of sanctification where you're filled by the Spirit, but it also continues through regular surrender to the will of God in your life. And so uh, Jesus was filled by the Holy Spirit, and so should we be filled by the Holy Spirit. And that is one way, that is really the first way in which we're able to uh, not give in to temptation. Now, we could stop there, and we could really chew on that, right? I mean, that's something to chew on this week, right? I mean, we could definitely say, hey, you know what? That is something that I need to make sure in my life that I am filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm completely surrendered to the Spirit of God. I've invited the Holy Spirit to come into my life and fill me and use me, and and I just want to be that way, and I want to be that way not just on Sunday, but on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and through the whole week. I want to be filled with the Spirit of God. And boy, if we do that, we are on our way, right? We're definitely on our way. Being filled with the Spirit, Jesus uh, is led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. Now, that is not my words. Those, Those are not my words. Those are the words of the Word of God. The Word of God tells us that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, that's kind of a head scratcher, isn't it? You know, it's like, what? 
really? That's, that's fascinating, but it's also like, really? I don't understand that completely. I, I, that is something that I think I've had to kind of wrestle with and try to figure out what's going on there. You know, was it a testing? Was it uh, a time to strengthen his resolve? Uh, was it so that he could experience the enemy before he would experience the enemy to a greater degree later on, you know, in the, like the Garden of Gethsemane? I don't know. Nevertheless, Jesus, God's son, full of the spirit of God, didn't escape a trip into the wilderness. Now that's, I believe, significant for us because uh, this shows us like many other portions of scriptures, and this kind of goes back to what we started with, with those questions that I asked you, that walking with God doesn't make life easy. That in fact, being a Christian doesn't mean that life is going to be a bed of roses. And in fact, that sometimes being a Christian, you are going to be led into the wilderness. Now, this is, uh, I think, a really important thing to say. If you're in the wilderness now, or if you've been in the wilderness, and certainly at some point you're going to be in the wilderness, please understand that that doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. That doesn't mean that God has forsaken you. That doesn't mean that God uh, isn't with you, that he's not walking with you. If you're in the wilderness, it doesn't mean you're outside of God's will. It doesn't mean that, that anything uh, is wrong maybe with your relationship with God. In fact, God may have you right where he wants you. You ever think of that? That if you're in the wilderness and you're experiencing some very difficult times in life, that God may have you right where he wants you? He just might. And I want you to look at, this, at it this way. It may be that time in your life that you are given the opportunity to shine for Jesus. Because I want to tell you that in those times of difficulty, there is no greater testimony to the people around you than when you're in that crucible, you're in that difficult time, and you are showing your love for the Lord. You're showing your faithfulness to Jesus. People will look at you and they'll say, wow, they've, they've got something I don't have. And it's a time to shine. It's a time to shine. Now, uh, when Adam and Eve were confronted in the garden by the serpent, what happened? They failed, didn't they? They sinned. They failed. They, they went the wrong direction. They, they decided to go uh, with the serpent's suggestion. When Israel was in the wilderness... For how many years? Oh, 40. 40 years in the wilderness. How many days was Jesus in the wilderness? 40. Oh, could there be some symbolism going on there? I think so. I, I really do think so. They 
Israel repeatedly, in those 40 years, repeatedly turned their back on God. They failed. They repeatedly gave in to temptation. And so uh, it's interesting we see that when Adam and Eve in the very beginning were confronted by temptation, they gave in. When Israel in those 40 years was confronted by temptation, they kept giving in. And now Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. And I love how Jesus handles his business, right? I love how Jesus handles it. I love how Jesus does these things. And because Jesus handles it the way he handles it. He shows us, he's the model, he's the example that we can handle it the same way when we're in the wilderness and we're confronted with temptation. Jesus was hungry. He hadn't eaten anything for 40 days. I don't know, I love that Don mentioned the fasting, the praying this morning. Um, you know, I think it's really important for us to, to do those things. And I don't know whether you've ever uh, fasted for a while. I, I don't think anybody here has gone 40 days. Uh, that's a long time. Uh, but that's, that's a long fast. Can you imagine not eating anything for 40 days? It's a long time. It's a long time. Um, when, when I was a youth leader uh, down in Sugar Creek, down at Bars Mill Church of God, we did this, this event, this, this thing called a 30-hour famine with the, with the youth group. And so for 30 hours, uh, we were with the youth. It's hard to be with youth for 30 hours, <laughs> period. But no, I'm just kidding, youth, I'm just kidding. Um, because um, we loved them. We loved those kids. They were so great. But when you're with, when you're with kids for 30 hours and you're not eating, because a lot of times the events with youth, it's all about the snacks, right? You know? But a 30-hour famine, not about the snacks. We were all about like the activities, uh, the service projects, the time of devotion, the time of prayer, and not trying to think about food. And so 30 hours, we did 30 hours not, not eating at all with the kids. And, and we were doing all of those things in those 30 hours. And I want to tell you, at the end of 30 hours, and it was probably more like closer to 36 because we didn't like eat and then start the famine. We just like started the famine like after work and, you know, after school. And, and so it was probably more closer to, to like 36. And I want to tell you, at the end of those hours, we were hungry. We were ready to eat. We were looking forward to that meal. And so, uh, you know, the, you, you get that, that little pain, that little, like, ache in your stomach. And we don't, re- we don't get that very often, especially in America. We, we're pretty, like, we eat, you know, more based on a schedule rather than, like, when we're hungry. But... But when you get that little ache in your belly and you start to feel the hunger pains, boy, you really just want food. I can't imagine for 40 days. And so Jesus was hungry. Jesus fasted for 40 days. And the devil knew it. I want to tell you that the devil knows what's going on in your life. Okay? He's not omniscient like, like the Lord. 
But he does know some things about our life. And he knows what's going on in our life. He knew that Jesus had fasted for 40 days. That's why he hit him with, turn this stone into bread. That's why he hit him with that. And so he comes to Jesus and says, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And it's really uh, maybe better understood, since you are the son of God, turn this stone into bread. Because he not only knew what Jesus had been doing in life, but he knew who Jesus was. And so the devil knows what's going on in our life, and he knows who you are. And so Satan knew who he was dealing with. Now, here's the thing about uh, Jesus. Turning a stone into bread for Jesus, that was child's play. That was easy. Jesus could have done that easily. I mean, no problem, no problem at all. In fact, Jesus shows us that he's got that kind of uh, power with food. Just a, a few chapters later in Luke 9, when he actually feeds 5,000 with uh, five loaves and two fish. So Jesus shows us. This thing about turning things into food and like multiplying food, this is nothing. I can do that. That's, that's no big deal. So it wasn't that this was challenging for Jesus. This was easy. And can I say to you uh, this morning that giving into temptation is easier than resisting it. And so Jesus heard this suggestion by Satan. And Jesus saw right through what Satan was trying to do. You see, Satan was trying to get Jesus to take his eyes off of God and off, off of the will of God, off of what God wanted in his life, what God was leading him to do. And to take the suggestion of Satan, was it a terrible thing? to turn a, a, a stone into bread, that's not a terrible thing. But it is terrible when we take our eyes off of God and follow the lead of the enemy of our soul. So Satan was trying to get Jesus to stop following God's way in his life and start following Satan's way. So we see Jesus... Uh, we see that Jesus defeated the temptation each time it was thrown at him. Uh, we see the three temptations. We're not going to go into each one of those in detail this morning. But I want to say that just very quickly that uh, Jesus was actually taking each one of those temptations. And as we see, he is quoting scripture to resist those temptations. So as Jesus was defeating the temptation, as he was turning his back on the temptation to follow the will of the Father, we see that Jesus was prayed up. He was prayed up. Jesus had fasted for 40 days, and this wasn't about uh, going without food. This wasn't about uh, Jesus doing a cleanse. This wasn't about Jesus doing an intermittent fast to turn the fat stores into energy. That's what people are kind of doing today sometimes. But you see, this wasn't really about food as much as it was about prayer and devotion. 
Jesus was getting close to God. He was walking close to the Father. He was getting so close to the Father that there was like nothing between them, no separation. He was walking hand in hand with the Father. And that prayer and that devotion, that time that he was spending, it was all about that. And when, te- when temptation struck and Satan reared his ugly head, Jesus was ready because of the prayer and the fasting. The depth of his, of his walk with the Father was never more powerful. Well, let me tell you, if you're struggling with a temptation, it may be time to follow the example of Jesus and hit that temptation with prayer and fasting. So many times we're hit with temptation and we struggle with the temptation. Maybe there's a certain thing that we just, we struggle to have victory over. It just seems to have our number. It just seems to be something that we keep going back to. I want to tell you that maybe it is time that you hit that temptation with prayer and fasting to get as close to the Father as you can. And so what do we have here so far? We have being filled with the Spirit and prayer and fasting. It's a good combination, isn't it? It's a good combination. But also Jesus knew the Word. You're like, well, yeah, he was the Word. But he knew the Word. And we need to know the Word. We need to know the Word of God. We, can I tell you this morning that it is vitally important for us to know the Word of God. Not just to know about it, not just to be able to quote it, although putting it in our heart, storing it within our heart, being able to quote it is important. It is important to know the word of God, know what it means, have an understanding of it, realize what it's saying for your life. That is so very important. I, I heard of a, I read of a man that was in jail one time, and, and as he was in jail, he, he studied the word, but he studied it in a kind of a weird way. He found out like what the exact middle verse of the Bible was and how many chapters there were in each book. And, you know, he had all this knowledge about the word of God, but it was like kind of useless when it comes to actually living for Jesus. We need to know the word in such a way that we understand what it means for our life. We can quote it. We can stand up and say, you know what? This is what the word of God says for this temptation. Friends, if there's a temptation that you're having a hard time with, you're, sh- you're having a hard time shaking, and, and you have prayer and fasting, you, you're filled with the spirit, you have prayer and fasting, but you also have the powerful word of God that you can stand on when you're facing that temptation. Jesus did that. And so should we. Can I give you an example? Thank you. You know, you guys thought I was just going to go on there, but I was waiting for your answer because I want to make sure you're awake this morning. You're awake. I know you are. You're, you're giving me good feedback today. So let's say that you're dealing with so much anxiety that it is, it, it's starting to break at, uh, break down your faith. You're dealing with so much stress that it's starting to break down your faith. You're dealing with so much uh, maybe heartbreak that it's just starting to break down your faith and you're starting to not believe the way that you used to believe. 
Now, there's a lot of scriptures that you could learn, you could memorize, you could read, you could go to. Let me just give you one, okay? Just this is an example. This is just an example. So Philippians 4, 6 through 8, just a terrific scripture when it comes to these kinds of things. It says, don't worry about anything. That's easy, right? But it doesn't stop there, does it? Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I love, I just love that. Will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Because what's the enemy trying to do in those times when you're anxious? What's the enemy trying to do in those times when you're stressed or your heart is breaking? The enemy of your soul is trying to, like, attack your mind and attack your heart and soul and cause your faith to crumble. This will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. I love that. I love that. But it doesn't stop there. A lot of people, I think, want to stop there at verse 7. But I think verse 8 is really important for this whole idea of setting our mind right in those times. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. I love that. What's that tell us? Well, for one thing, it tells me, and I, and I learned this lesson a lot from my wife, actually. Um, my wife uh, had a, a pretty serious surgery uh, last year. And uh, in that time, uh, one thing that she did, even before the surgery, is she, like, asked our whole family, give me your favorite praise song. Give me your favorite worship song. And, uh, and so everybody, all the families, like, sending her the favorite praise song. And as she went through that surgery and the recovery and all that, she would just play those songs. She was setting her mind on what was pure and lovely and praiseworthy. She was helping herself to stay in the right frame of mind. And that's important, isn't it? See, Scripture gives us guidance on that. Scripture tells us to do that. And so when you're dealing with something difficult, make sure that you're using Scripture because it's so important. It's so important to resist temptation. Now, I'm going to end with this. Uh, this is, I, I think this is, is really good to end with because I, I like the, the way that Jesus handles this part. Uh, something else Jesus did that I believe that we need to do is I believe that that Jesus uh, identified the source of the temptation. He identified the source of the temptation. And you say, well, but Satan was, it seems like Satan was like uh, literally like right in front of them. How could he not, you know, identify the source? Well, he identified the source. He identified that it was Satan that was trying to get him to go the wrong direction, do the wrong things. And so he knew that these temptations were coming from the enemy. And he identified the source and he easily recognized it was the enemy of his soul who was trying to seduce him to go the wrong direction. When you realize that, when you realize who it is that's trying to get you to turn away from God, 
it is better and it becomes more clear that you want to resist. That you want to resist because you'll see the enemy for who he is. You see, the enemy comes in different ways, different forms. He doesn't come to us real ugly, does he? Because if he came to us the way he is in his ugliness, we would easily say, no, I'm not going to follow you. What are you thinking? You're, you're, you're Satan. You're the devil. Why, why would I follow you? But he doesn't come to us that way. So we have to identify that it is him that is trying to get us to go the wrong direction. If we can link the temptation with the enemy, our resolve becomes stronger. And if we uh, can do that, um, it, it becomes something that we're, it almost becomes a no-brainer. I don't want to make it sound too easy, but it almost becomes a no-brainer. If you're filled with the Spirit, it, it, right? I mean, let, let's just talk about it. If you're filled with the Spirit and if you're uh, able to, um, what, was the second, what was the first one? My mind just went totally blank. Wow. What? Prayer and fasting. Thank you. If you're filled with the Spirit, you've been prayer, you're in prayer and you're fasting. You have the Word of God. You're standing on the Word of God. And you're, you're resisting with the Word. And you've identified the enemy. <laughs> it becomes kind of a no-brainer, doesn't it? You're strong. You're strong like the Lord Jesus. You're, you're able to resist. And I love how Jesus, like when Matthew tells us about the, the, uh, the time in which Jesus is in the wilderness, I kind of love how the way Matthew talks about it because uh, Matthew records Jesus saying to Satan right there at the end, go away, Satan. I mean, ch check it out if you will. Uh, it's not like on a screen or anything, but like look in the word. It's in Matthew 4, so it's kind of easy. Luke 4, Matthew 4, okay? But it's kind of easy, and just go there to Matthew, and you'll see that in Matthew, when Matthew tells us the same thing, he tells us that Jesus said, go away, Satan. And I love that because it's like Jesus is saying, take a hike, Satan. Get out of here, Satan. Scram, Satan. Get out of my face, Satan. If we want to say it the way we would maybe say it. In James 4, 7, it actually says these words. And I, I, uh, I want to uh, read those words to you. It says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Amen? Amen. Amen. So that's just kind of identifying him. That's just kind of identifying him. So when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, when we're prayed up and we've been fasting and when we're using the scripture as our spiritual weapon and we've identified the enemy to tell him to scram and get out of here, temptation doesn't have a fighting chance to win in our life. Amen? Amen. Jesus showed us this prime example. Let us follow his lead. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we bow before you today, as we have read your word, as we have allowed your word to speak to us and show us things that we need in those times of wilderness, in those times of temptation, Lord, we certainly have been able to see how you handled it, Jesus, and how victorious you were 
Lord, we want that same victory in our life. We want to be able to say no to temptation and, and walk away from the enemy of our soul and keep our eyes on you and walk faithful to you in our lives. Lord, I just want to pray for anyone who maybe is struggling this morning with a temptation. May they follow your lead, your example in handling the temptation that they're up against today. And may they find victory in the way that you showed us there is victory. Lord, may we all be able to not just resist the temptation, but to have a vibrant, fulfilling walk with you, Lord, so that each and every day we feel that closeness to you that we need to feel, that we should feel. And we have that bond with you, Lord, that bond that comes through these things that we've talked about today. And we'll have a victorious life day in and day out walking with you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.